Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, and we have Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello to everyone out there. I'm in a great mood. The Orioles won last night, Nathan. I was there. <laughs> Nine to four, and they slapped the Mariners around. So hello, everybody. Um, and we have Zach Eswine, author and teacher, joining us today. Um, Zach's written a book called Spurgeon's Sorrows. Um, Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do specifically in your role as teacher, um, and then we're uh, actually going to dedicate as much time as we can to um, this book because it's a book um, about a very um, serious and deep subject out there for people um, about depression. So um, go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Let us get to know you and, and we'll go from there. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, I'm a pastor here of Riverside Church in Webster Groves, Missouri, and I'm in my seventh year here, and uh, uh, we're, we're just an ordinary con- congregation in a neighborhood trying to reach out in Christ's name and uh, to our neighbors. And I also uh, uh, direct a homiletics program at a seminary nearby called Covenant Seminary, and so I'm actively involved with uh, teaching and being a part of the lives of young men and women who are pursuing various aspects of ministry leadership and and I'm a husband and a dad and uh uh and so it's just good to be with you. My wife's name is Jessica and I've got three kids, one who lives in Los Angeles and uh one who's starting her senior year in high school and then uh uh, a fifth grader. So, wow, uh, that, that's a little bit about us. <laughs> wow, you've got the whole yeah. gamut covered there. Yeah, that's Zach. right. <laughs> that is uh, that's right. that is something. And, and I noticed you said Missouri, and I'm wondering, uh, does that give us some sense of locale? Because I've had a few people in my life tell me it's Missouri. And right, right. I, yeah, so, what what is that? Is that a, a you, yeah, eastern western thing in the state how does that work uh it's because i'm a transplant i'm a, I'm a hoosier from indiana oh okay born, oh. born and raised and uh so i i have missouri in my language but yeah missouri is the is the native way of speaking yeah that's interesting. right interesting that's a shout out to my sister-in-law actually who is, is from there who i think usually says missouri and yeah, I said, but no, I, I've I've seen it. There's an eye in it. I I promise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Um, now, Zach, uh, this book you wrote, uh, Spurgeon's Sorrows. Um, just do me a favor and and take a couple minutes and give us the 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 brief version of of what this book entails, if you would please. Well, this book is a, is about uh, depression. And uh, in its various forms, and the various kinds of sadnesses and sorrows that we have in life, and uh, it's uh, it's a Christ-centered book, so it seeks to set our sorrows with the Man of Sorrows, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a book that's hopefully not trite. There's no there's no formulaic or easy answers. Uh, it's not a book you know. No book can solve this or fix it. Uh, it's more like a companion on the journey, uh, looking together in our sorrows to Jesus. And then uh, then we have a friend uh, along the way in the book, Charles Spurgeon, um, a well-known and faithful pastor of the last century and uh, 19th century, actually. And uh, he was just so vocal and transparent about his own depressions that it's a breath of fresh air. And the, the quotes and uh, teachings that he has about that are sort of our... Uh, guide along the way as we look to Jesus in the book. Yeah. Um, 
Now, you're very honest about your own struggles um, in the life and ministry. Uh, some pastors seem to live under the never let them see you sweat philosophy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How have you been able to share so honestly and still been able to minister to people? Well, I, I think that's grown over time. You know, uh, some people see that as weakness. Um, so if, if someone knows that I myself uh, can be broken by sorrows and, and have to look in my weakness to Christ, you know, for some folks that's, uh, that, that makes it harder uh, for them to receive ministry from me. Uh, I usually think of it as for some folks, it's a monster for other folks. It's a magnet, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the magnet is the, the majority of people because the majority of people, if they don't, if they haven't struggled with various forms of depression in their own life, they know someone who has. Yes. They've, they've tried to be of help, and they've just felt like they don't know what to do to help. And uh, so the majority of folks, I think, uh, sort of think of Paul's words. You know, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And, mm. uh, and I think people, people resonate with that. And uh, for some folks, especially those who are suspicious and cynical of preachers uh, and Christians, you know, I— for many of those folks, it sort of refreshingly takes them off guard uh, to see a pastor trying to be, trying, you know, to be honest and as humble as he can about his own need for a Savior. And um, so, you know, those have been some of the things along the way. Yeah, uh, Zach, I wanted to ask you, I think one of the reasons I was so drawn to to the book, one, I, you know, like like many pastors, I love Spurgeon. There, there have been times, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, where I'm like uh, I'm, I'm going through First Peter right now in our church. Yeah, and you know, normally one of the last things I do, uh, because I, uh, you know, had had great teachers in uh, in homiletics myself, and uh, <laughs> I guess one of your predecessors, Brian Chapel, that was a yeah a standard book, Christ centered preaching, was yep. to to not get to the commentaries until later, so that yeah. um, you know, we're doing our own inductive work and really spending time with the text itself. But normally, one of the last things I do sometimes on a Saturday night, and it's a uh, it's a blessing and a curse, is I'll read if there's an available Spurgeon sermon, which there there almost always is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know his sermon, and I I get so down about my own yeah. after after I read his, and I've, I I I've told my church before I really I haven't done it yet. I may come in one time. And truly, just read a Spurgeon sermon. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think if I did that on a regular basis, our uh, our trustee board would have, you know, maybe a comment or two about what I'm doing each week. That's right. That's right. But but every now and then it's good. But I have always noticed that this incredibly bold lion of a preacher, t- to me, unusually stands out in his. Uh, as you've so well noted in the book and, and even the things you've said here today on our podcast, his humility, his transparency. And I was just curious, Zach, this has been an experience for me. That resonates with me as well. I I I have found, I can't say this is a formal dichotomy, but it's just something that I experience in church life, that there is a pastoral philosophy. Maybe it's an, an older philosophy or maybe it's still pretty prevalent uh, that says on the one hand, no, we should sort of take the Pauline approach, they would say, uh, to um, you know, imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. So therefore, I would furnish examples of my successes or right. practical holiness. And I have always gone maybe too far uh, the other way, but I, I just, I really make no apologies for it. I, I tend to lead with, um, 
I hope, to be transparent about my struggles because I find, as you uh, said, that the majority of people uh, can connect and find me much more relatable, and I feel there's an opportunity for the gospel to work. But I have had the experience, and I was curious if you have had this, where, just being honest, one of the painful things in ministry is when you share something of your own vulnerability. I have had an experience every, not all the time, but every so often, where that in later gets used against me yes. uh, as a criticism. And I don't know if you've experienced that in your ministry. Yes. Sorry for the three-minute prelude to that question, <laughs> but I, there's so much I wanted to pack in there, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that. No, I really, I have. Uh, I, I was just talking to a young man who, who has a, a, a heart in this direction and will, in a way that's appropriate to a text, try to share his own testimony in some way a piece of his own uh, heart. And, uh, you know, I'm just just preparing him that there's going to be someone uh, sort of regularly along the way who's going to perceive that as weakness. They're going to say that he's preaching himself rather than the Lord. Yes. And uh, and they're going to take what is most vulnerable to him and uh, stomp on it. Yeah. And uh, and and maybe with the greatest intentions. I don't even I don't even necessarily mean that someone's consciously aware of trying to be malicious. They'll sure. just and out of their uh, what they how they understand trying to uphold the scripture. They're going to have trouble with that. And and actually, you know what? It's the conviction that I have is actually rooted in the Apostle Paul. And it's Spurgeon who makes his case about the Apostle Paul. And I, I talk about this in a different book on Spurgeon's preaching, but he. He actually goes to the Apostle Paul and points out how much the Apostle Paul uses the word I. Yes. How often Paul talks about himself and his, uh, his own uh, past, his own struggles. You know, like when he'll say, you know, I came into Macedonia, you know, he says there in the Corinthian letter, I think it's Second Corinthians, but there he talks about, you know, uh, fighting within and fears without and our yeah. bodies had no rest. And uh, but God who comforts the downcast, you know, comforted us. So, uh, you know, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, "Hey, how's it going today?" Uh, yeah. He might say, uh, "I'm a wreck." Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. I'm, uh, conflict is everywhere. I'm exhausted. Uh, how are you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that that is no. true. That is such a great observation, Zach, because there is that inclination to assume. Boy, I bet every day you talk to Paul. Oh, I'm just trusting in the Lord and yeah. full of His peace and and uh, goodness. And you compare that. You're right with some of his own self reflection. Uh, that's thank you. That's that's a great point. Yeah, you know he ta- he tells us that he has prayers that aren't answered. You know he tells us that he's wore out. He tells us that um, about his own story. You know his past. He tells us he's the worst of sinners. He, you know, he tells us that he coveted. You know he he tells us that. Um, uh, he has this whole list of all the beatings or the challenges he yes. had. He he, when he talks about contentment, he says he's learned. He's yes. learned contentment. Yeah. You know, like so he just um, Spurgeon was criticized so often, just terribly, m- mercilessly criticized because of how much he used personal reference in the pulpit. And um, there's no doubt that we can misuse personal references sure. in the pulpit. No doubt about that. But. Um, I think Spurgeon goes a long way pointing us to the Apostle Paul as our guide. And I also think, if you think about this, uh, we know the story of just about every teacher in the Scripture. 
And the Lord has designed it that way. So when we learn from Peter, you know, in his letters, we know also he's the guy that betrayed Jesus and heard the rooster crow. Yes. When we yeah. learn when we learn from Paul, we know that he's Saul of Tarsus. You know, when we learn yeah. from Moses, we know that he didn't see the promised land. You know what I'm saying? When we learn sure. from David, we know that he was a polygamist who committed adultery and murder. You know, yeah. we mm-hmm. so there's some way, you know, if uh, Jonah, uh, we um, particularly if Jonah wrote that book, um, that's rem- remarkable because Jonah's yes. telling us his own failings. Um, Ecclesiastes is full of "I felt this, I thought this, this is what, this is how I saw it in my heart." You know, so the Lord has set it up in a certain way that uh, those who are going to teach the people that they're teaching know their own need of Jesus. Yeah, they don't, their own need of a savior, and uh, so yeah, that can really be misused, and we have to talk a lot about that and think a lot about that. But at the same time, we want to make sure we're following the scriptural lead in this kind of humble way. Mm, very yeah. good. Now, uh, Zach, actually, kind of going with that because um, I feel like there's a sense in which bringing your personal experiences is great. Um, in using those as references and in helping people and counseling them and, and guiding them. Um, but you actually make um, a point in your book um, to talk about uh, depression and it not just leaving, it just not being this quick little thing that comes in, in out of your life and that there are no quick fixes. This yeah. can be a lifelong struggle, um, a lifelong um uh, disease, um, as you put in yeah. the book with people. Um, yeah. and so w- what purpose could you see in, in God leaving a person in that state where, mm-hmm. you know, maybe for their entire life, they, they never overcome it. They're never sanctified in this area. And it's something that they will deal with, um, until, you know, until they meet Jesus in glory. Um, how, how can you see that benefiting and relating, um, and being able to help people? Well, that's a wonderful question and a deep one. Uh, you know, I think the first thing I would say is Spurgeon t- reminds us that we're bodies and souls, and um, and that in this fallen world we experience uh, tragedy, trauma, brokenness of being um, in a fallen world, in our, and we experience all that in our bodies and in our inner being, and um, and that. And so the second thing I would say by way of a general picture is is to remember that because of that any kind of suffering that we have in this world isn't you it isn't unique to us it's uniquely expressed and so it isn't there's no formula or trite category that can name each individual person's suffering yeah. but the fact that we suffer is we have that in common with one another and we're sort of reminded that even if we were healed healing isn't heaven. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, I go back to this place of Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus. And it's what's remarkable uh, is if you go back and read that story in the book of John where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the very next thing that happens is the Pharisees put out a death threat on Lazarus's life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, And so the way to remember that is anyone Jesus healed, you know, if, if they could walk again, they could still break their leg. Yeah. Um, if, if he healed them of a disease, they could still get a cold. Um, and, and the truth is all of them still died. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, be, because um, healing, the healing Jesus brought, um, doesn't can't you know conquer death. It, it, that's not the thing that conquers death for us. What what conquers that last enemy is is his life and death and resurrection on the cross and uh, and in the empty tomb, and will ultimately be brought to us. So I say all of that just to to say, uh, with all that in mind. In our brokenness, in our suffering, we become, we've, we follow the mentoring of the psalmist and we begin to give language to suffering and, uh, and we're given language for suffering by God in the wisdom literature like Job, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms. You know, these are God's inspired uh, and authoritative word for us, which means that God's giving us this language. And so when the you know, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, when he steps up to the pulpit and he says, meaningless, meaningless, you know, everything is meaningless. Yeah. Uh, it is a comfort to realize that God uh, inspired those words. God uh, authoritatively gave us those words and uh, to say to him. And uh, so he's giving us this language of suffering. And... Uh, on the one hand, it is a very, it can be a very mean, un, uh, we don't intend it to be, but it can be a very mean thing uh, or a callous thing to say to someone in their suffering. Well, at least you know God has a purpose for it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, because a lot of times, uh, even if that, even though that's true, uh, uh, it takes, it is a deep thing to come to terms with surrendering. To God's purpose for our lives, when it's not the thing we imagined that our lives would be, yeah. and uh, and so having patience and grace and time with one another, to believe that uh, the Lord will reveal His purpose, and the purpose may simply be that we know His love and that we we learn to trust Him, and that we are enabled to comfort others with the comfort that we've received. In a way that others can't, and um, uh, and and who knows the various reasons or ways that God has in mind, and I and I think we can cry out to Him, and I on the basis of the prayers of Job and the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, and say, I I don't understand, and I, this isn't what I want, and how can I make sense of this, and. Lord, please, please show me and help me and hear me. And uh, and you know what? If you saw someone in their living room in the middle of the night praying like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know they themselves probably feel as if they are not godly, as right. if they are far yeah. away from God. But if we were looking in, what we would see is a godly person crying out to God with all their heart yes. and, mm-hmm. and, and setting all of their life's troubles and concerns and questions at the feet of the Lord. To us, they would look just like the saints of old, you know, right. in the scriptures, you know, but for they themselves, they, they, we often don't see it of ourselves. Yes, I, I sometimes, uh, Zach, will ask people if they picture themselves in a small group setting, mm. how shocking it would be to hear on the lips of a real human being that you know that is in your yeah. church like one of the psalms like if somebody you know uh-huh. you, you you went around and somebody prayed for their aunt who might have a medical procedure somebody prayed for a maybe a child that is prodigaling or lost and then the next person just said yeah you you've abandoned me god 
yeah. and darkness yeah. is my closest friend. And I've asked people, how, how would that sit with you? And most people sort of nervously, myself included, um, <laughs> chuckle <Right>. uncomfortably. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we th- do you need to pull that person aside and tell them they're bringing the group down? Right. Um, right. And, and I do wonder what that is. I, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, Zach, because we have this rich hymnody uh, obviously, the Psalms alone, and, and the other uh, the other great passages you mentioned, but just the Psalms alone, when so many of them are of lamentation, yeah. and and I've heard some people talk about this. I, I, it's hard to find worship songs today that reflect yeah. that. And yeah. believe me, I'm I'm not a songwriter. I would have yeah. no idea how to go about it. Uh, so I'm not at all sort of just making a blanket criticism of all the. There's so many wonderful songwriters today. Uh, like I, you know, uh, Nathan and I are big fans of uh, of the Gettys, for instance. Yeah. That, uh, do yeah, some yeah. terrific songs, and uh, we we've had uh, Stephen uh, Altrogi on, who's written some wonderful songs, and his father has as well. But why does there seem to be a disconnect from this very common biblical of experience of expressing lament uh, 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 between that picture and what we see often happening in the 21st century church? What, why do you think we've we're uncomfortable with that is I guess what I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I I don't know fully, but um you know a, a couple of guesses would be if we think about the 21st century church in a global way, then I imagine there are Christians with rich capacity for lament um because we you know uh statistics everywhere even from non-Christian sources are telling us that uh the Christians are the most persecuted uh, group in the world, and that that Christians are being persecuted in an unprecedented way in the modern era. And so, our our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, for example, in the Middle East right now, uh, it their prayer meetings are probably full of lament yeah. and yes. with one another, and they would not be. It would not seem out of step or out of turn for them. And so I think, well, why does it for us in America, you know, the American church and, and, um, you know, maybe that's because of the certain strengths and weaknesses of our, of who we are and the air we breathe in America, you know, by and large, we have some measures of wealth and by and large, we have some measures of comfort and we're an extroverted culture Mm -hmm. by and large, optimistic, you know, um, put your boots on the ground and get her done, you yeah, know? And, yeah. um, and so to, you know, we can't help but having that uh, mentoring in us and we bring that to our prayer, prayer groups and Bible studies and, and somehow, uh, and we're kind of blind to that. And uh, I don't know, there's probably something in that to yeah. answer that question. You know, we're just unaware of the, of the, we haven't been mentored as well in the wisdom literature of the Bible. Yes, yes, yes. And I, uh, I have had that experience, Zach, where I have been, and I'm sure I've done it too. Uh, I always call it Romans eight twenty eight. Oh yes, you know it's <laughs> right. w- what a yeah. wonderful, glorious verse. Um, you know, m- my wife uh, uh, has had a few miscarriages, and we've mm. been blessed. We have four children, uh, but in uh. in between those, you know, we've we've had some of those. It was very, very hard times, and uh, we have had the most wonderful support and uh, uh, helpful counsel and encouragement from people in, in two churches. I, I, we've only been in two, 
and every so often there is, and we know, we know it's well-intended, but the mm. person who, maybe it's, it's a timing issue, maybe too yeah. quickly mm. tells us, um, you know, hey, you know, God works all things for good, you know, and, right. and, and they always say, and I know you know that, I just want to remind you of that, and, and it's, it's always an awkward thing, because I, I tend to think, uh, and you know, I've, I've heard people make that point about Job, that maybe the wisest thing Job's friends yeah. did is they came, they sat yeah. with him and said nothing for a week, and of yeah. course, all the trouble starts when they talk, and uh, right. they, they, they get into some, some you know, almost, um, you know, vending machine type theology, yeah. you must have put this in to get this result, uh, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And um, I, I just wonder, I'm assuming, because one of the things I just wanted to say, this isn't as much about your book, but um, I've been on your website, uh, which I think is yeah. just, just uh, com, and you've got that video at the beginning, Zach, which is so moving, where you really share some of your personal story and your heart. And when I watched it, I was wondering, um, I just had the sense, I bet Zach has a man, is a man who's been Romans 828'd um yeah. before and and can you talk us through some of that experience yeah yeah i think i've done that to others too in my life sure. you know uh and i think i've come to think that most of the time when when someone does that number one they're they're well meaning they're mm-hmm. they're trying to find a way to express love and uh and number two the thing that we don't realize when we're doing that is that's probably says more about us than it does about the sufferer. Yeah. We're we're probably so uncomfortable and awkward and we don't know how to trust Christ in our awkwardness and discomfort. And so we just feel like we got to put some words out there. And if we just get the words out there then 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 that would sort of uh you know make the situation better. But really only Jesus can make the situation better, you know, in whatever way he means that. And so uh uh, we we just try to learn to be patient with other people, uh, knowing how patient the Lord's been with us when we've Romans eight twenty eight at others in our yeah. life, and mm-hmm. uh, and I one of the things that uh, the scriptures seem to bring us into is to we, to learn to trust Jesus with the silences as much as we trust him with the sentences. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. The, that's and that's Job's friends, you know. they. So, you know, I could come up to you right in the midst of it and say, hey, all things work for good. Um, or I could just come up and say nothing and put my hand on your shoulder and yeah. just have tears in my eyes and no words. Or I could come up to you and say, I, have, I don't know what to say. I just feel like I'm in the ashes with you, and I just want you to know I love you. Yeah, and uh, I want you to know I'm looking to the Lord with you, and you know something like that is probably much better than the Romans eight twenty eight. And yeah, and, I, and maybe another way to think of it is this: I know Romans eight twenty eight is true for that suffering person, and it's true whether I say it or not. Yeah, yeah. and so I can hold on to that promise for that person. I can pray that promise for that person. I don't have to say it. It's yeah. already true. It's yeah. already true for them. And um, and a time will come when they're ready to hear me say it to them, and then we can. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and other people, so that's the well-meaning person, you know, just trying to do their best to love us and the awkwardness and, you know, suffering exposes all of our hearts. Uh, all of us have to 
come to terms with having no answers necessarily and having to trust the Lord in the midst of the ashes. Um, and so we just don't do it very well. Yeah. Uh, there are other people who are just mean. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to minimize that. I mean, there are people who are so, um, uh, I don't know, they're, they're just a pride or an arrogance in their heart that they need Jesus for. And uh, they actually believe that they... Uh, they that they actually believe as Job's friends did that if if you would have just done better, you wouldn't mm-hmm. suffer like this. Sure. And um, yeah. and those folks are harder harder to handle because they they inflict a double wound. Yes, yes. You know we already have the wound itself, and then they accuse us and blame us in the midst of it, and we already have the accuser of the brethren yeah. uh, doing his work on us, and so. You know, we have to pray for those people too, and that's harder. Yes, for us. But in that, uh, we learn to pray. I guess, I guess, over time, eventually, we learn to pray. You know, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing. And in some small way, we have a fellowship with our Savior. Yes. Yeah. Great. Great thoughts, Zach. Thank you. Now, uh, Zach, I was just wondering too your thoughts on, um, like Greg said, you know, there is this question of timing you know, people coming up and, and, you know, reassuring us of, of God's truth, um, maybe a little too early speaking it to us. Um, but also sometimes too, I feel like, um, particularly in a position of being a pastor, um, like you or Greg, um, I remember my father passed away when I was very young. So there were Mm. a wide variety of people who knew him Mm. and, through proxy, I think because of the stories he would tell about his family felt like they knew us as well. And so maybe, you know, even sometimes the proximity of closeness to the actual person who's suffering, trying to give those words of encouragement, because I felt like the people who didn't really know me, who were saying those things, it was like, well, you know, I appreciate it, but it kind of really doesn't mean much. You don't know me. There's really not a lot you can do for me where, um, my closest friends saying those things there, there was, I I had a lot more appreciation for it, even, even though I didn't feel like it because I knew their heart and I, I had that close relationship to them that I could take some of those things and, 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 and it would help and encourage me much more than these, than these people who thought they knew me, but really didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, it sure does. And then, and then the other thing too is um, this idea that even just being able to go up to someone, and um, I feel like in the American culture, you know, we we want to be there and available and willing to say, you know, if you just if you need anything day or night, let me know and, and I'll be there for you. Uh, I feel like though there's this idea that um, how many people, when you look at who say that to you, do you really think would be there for you? Yeah. Um, and so being the type of of person who, who, if, if you're, um, going to somebody, you know, and you're willing to put yourself out, then, then being willing to, you know, Hey, at three in the morning, get a phone call from this person who is just totally broken and, and willing to take that and, and listen to them and, and be there for them like that. Um, you know, and, and having, having those people in your life as well. Um, yeah. So, um, now let me, let me ask you because the, the book that we're talking about is Spurgeon's sorrows. And so, um, 
in this book, you you kind of use Spurgeon's life as the template or the reference um, in going through the book. Can you talk about the the first instance that really contributed to his depression, the the stampede in the church, um, and just and talk about that for the people out there, so they get an idea of this um, really this one big main event that started this life of depression for him. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon would say that there are three sources of depression. Mm -hmm. You know, one is biological, the other is circumstantial, and the other is spiritual. And we can have one without the other, or we can have a convergence of all three and things like that. And so he, he had a a, a tragic circumstantial event where um, so he was preaching to thousands of people. Someone, as a prank, yelled fire, yeah. and uh, everyone stampeded out. Several people were killed, and many multiple people were injured. And he was just pilloried in the press because he. It was such a large place, you know. If you could imagine being in, in a mega church and you're preaching to thousands of people, uh, he didn't. He didn't know what was going on, yeah. so he kept preaching. And, uh, and, uh, he, that was, um, he was said to be cruel. And so in the, in the press, they said all these things about him. He saw these, um, tragically saw the dead bodies, uh, and the injured folks. And, uh, his wife says she never, she didn't know if he would ever preach again. As a matter of fact, she says they, they thought he might've lost his mind. Um, he was taught his reason was in the balance and uh, he also was on what we would call today a suicide watch. Wow! And so it just it 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 devastated him. You know, you just don't think that that kind of tragedy would happen in a church. Sure. You know, that people people will go to church and die. And uh, and so it really it really shook him. And uh, uh, even to read the Bible caused he couldn't. He he said even to see a Bible caused him to cry. Mm. And I think many many suffering people can relate to that yes. and uh for a season and uh, so over the years you know as the lord uh, ministered to him you know as he would be very open about that uh and the, it became a storyline with his congregation that i think bonded them together over the years and but he never quite got over that you know uh, many years later he was preaching you know a much older man now preaching at a large convention people were pressing forward to try to find a seat, and uh, he was undone. He says he was unmanned, that uh, his whole body reacted. We would probably call that a flashback or a, a panic attack. Yes, yes. You know, he his body just began to react uh, as if it was all those years ago. He began to feel the the threat that this could happen again, and what will, what will happen? He says he almost couldn't preach, and um, though he eventually did, yeah. and uh, the Lord was with him. And uh, so that, I uh, I want to say that was at least twenty years later, and um, wow. and uh, so that a lot of us have something like that, uh, and I think what we can take away from that is remind ourselves that it's a sane thing, you know. Yes, it's a it's a sane response to uh, to respond to something that's traumatic, uh, as if it was traumatic. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's just the warranted response to a, to a trauma. You know, it's kind of like with uh, uh, war veterans, you know, they're starting to 
take off that last letter, you know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. Um, they're starting to remove that D. Uh, and rather than saying that it's a, it's an out-of-the-ordinary response to war that veterans would have this, we're starting to say, no, that's the same response to, to what they experienced. And so it's, it's not a disorder. It's post-traumatic stress, you know. Yeah. So anyway, Spurgeon, Spurgeon certainly seemed to experience that in his life. Yes, yes, and that's what I love, Zach. I mean, this book, you, 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 you do such a good job of showing, I think, one, by taking one of the most iconic preachers in the history of the world mm-hmm. and using his life, as Nathan said, as a template. I cannot tell you, Zach, the comfort I have derived from Spurgeon's life, and that was the bit I was getting before I read your book, and now I feel so much more uh, aware of uh, his particular battles and his dark moods and that sort of thing. And I can say, I in my 20s, I had a series of panic attacks just around mm-hmm. the time I entered seminary, mm-hmm. even even before I took Hebrew, which yeah. uh, <laughs> is, is perhaps most shocking. But I had no idea what they were. Uh, it hit me when I was in, in, uh, in the car one day, and I just oh. this real sense of dread and doom yeah. Uh, and fear that I, I honestly thought I was dying and and, yes. and, and yeah. couldn't quite know why. And I think, to Nathan's earlier point, I think people instinctively feel, oh, I, something's wrong with me. I'm sinful. This is, yes. I'm doing something wrong because the Christian life is fullness and yeah. joy and peace and, and these <coughs> things that get over uh, emphasized, overpainted. Um, at, at the expense of another biblical truth that needs to be alongside of it. And, and earlier when you mentioned, um, you know, when we forgive as, you know, those that are mean to us, and you said we get some small taste of fellowship with Jesus, I love when Paul says that I want to know him in uh, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. For me to look at a, a guy like Spurgeon and think, wow, I... I look at this man uh, who all preachers esteem so highly and wish they could preach yeah. like, I, I, I feel good, not in a, oh, um, I don't care about sin. I, don't, I just think, okay, this is not necessarily abnormal, uh, yeah. this dark season of the soul, this despair. I don't need to feel like I have somehow lost my way with my Savior and I, again, Zach, I just want to thank you for because yeah. when I'm reading this book, there's so many people I'm eager to and already have to pass this on to and to recommend to others because it, it has a particular focus. I can tell. Obviously, you're a preacher, and I'm a preacher, and you're using Spurgeon, the the the, the prince of preachers. But it's yeah. it's so applicable to any Christian uh, that is struggling with this. And I, I am curious uh, in that vein, Zach, what your thoughts are. Um, because I shared on a podcast not long ago, Nathan, you yeah. will recall, 10 or 15 years ago, Zach, well, probably 15 years ago or beyond, I was very much of the inclination that I downplayed any talk of depression and, yeah. and yeah. very much played the every problem is a spiritual problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and ultimately, I would say that's true mm-hmm. uh, yes. in the sense that we're all spiritual beings. Right. Yes. But how how do you respond to that in uh, when, when somebody talks to you, Zach, pastorally, as a friend? Um, yeah, I, I, I know I shouldn't talk about uh, my depression or my bipolar or my struggles or my panic attacks because everything's spiritual. How, how do you uh, engage with people that say that? 
Well, we're learning about, uh, I, I guess, um, Spurgeon takes us to Jesus, mm-hmm. takes us to the biblical text, and then takes us to theology. So first is to Jesus. Spurgeon highlights um, the Garden of yes. Gethsemane and says that the Garden is is um, has great importance uh, and and can even be uh, as much of a help to people as the cr- the cross um, and the empty tomb. So he puts the Garden, the cross, and the empty tomb together. Yes, and says that in the Garden Jesus suffered mental depression. That's what that's how Spurgeon says it. Yeah. and uh, the Man of Sorrows. He actually is the man of sorrows, and uh, and so there we follow the Lord's lead in that in that way. There's a time to mourn, as uh, Ecclesiastes says, and the wisdom you know people better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Ecclesiastes says because uh, the wise take it to heart, you know, and so. That's the second aspect, the Bible itself, not just our Lord Jesus, but the Bible itself. So Spurgeon takes us to the storyline of Elijah. He takes us to uh, the Apostle Paul. He takes us to Psalms of David. You know, uh, he takes us to Job, just showing us the uh, that sadness, sorrow, depression, anguish. These are not sins yes. uh, in them in themselves. And uh, yeah. he reminds us that Job was acquitted by the Lord. The Lord, the Lord says that in everything Job said, he did not sin, mm-hmm. and uh, that's remarkable. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's to the Lord, to the Bible, and then to our theology, which again we're body and soul creatures, and we recognize that uh, we recognize various kinds of ailments and miseries and disorders among people that you know their their legs don't work or their their uh, brain doesn't function so that they can move their hand. You know, they're in a wheelchair all their life. They have asthma. They're mute. They're deaf. You know, yeah. we recognize the body can, in God's world, uh, in this fallen reality of God's world, we we can have broken bodies uh, that the Lord allows to be broken all our life until He fully heals us in the new kingdom. And I think we just haven't really applied that to that can also mean that our brain brains can be uh, broke broken in such a way that you know we're we're prone to melancholy and um and so i i think we just haven't grappled theologically so that's what spurgeon would do anyway he would yes. take us to the lord jesus yeah. to the bible itself and then to our theology yes yes and zach i have to say your um chapter my favorite chapter in the book was i think it's chapter 8 was jesus and depression Mm. And I, just I was couldn't wait to get to that section because uh, I had an experience several years ago now at at a pastor's retreat. It was a very informal gathering, and um, it, and I wasn't involved. I was just an observer, and I felt that that one guy was sharing very openly and and got probably piled on a little bit by some of the other pastors, and it, it wasn't out of control. But he was talking about Jesus in the garden. And, and was making a very similar point that he says, well, yeah. I mean, look, this is just depression at its finest. And a couple of the pastors found that, uh, to me, it, they seemed to find it an untenable thought yeah. that we would ever put the label depression on Jesus, almost as if it was blasphemous. And uh, so, of course, for me to learn, now I've got two guys, when I make that assertion, I can hide behind. Well, Zach Eswine. That's right. His book. And then Zach Eswine could say, look at Spurgeon, is what he's saying. Yeah. 
They but uh, you know, I'm hiding behind yeah. <laughs> absolutely, right? That's the <clears throat> that's the great rabbi stacking. We 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 sometimes say in in an elders meeting, Zach, we'll we'll, we'll be talking about something, and you know, it's it might be you know someone in a gray area, and how are we going to approach this with the church? And one of the guys will inevitably say. Yeah, this sounds good. Did, did John Piper ever say it? Right. So we could, <laughs> That's right. If he said it, we can kind of hide behind him. And, uh, you know, we're, so somebody's Google searching. Yeah, he had to say something like that. So that's how, how we roll with that. But I, um, I, I just love the way you unpacked that in, in that chapter. Um, it was so helpful. And I, too, have been drawn to the garden for a long, long time. Because we, we, to me, I always say we are seeing Jesus in his humanness, yeah. calling out to his father. Of course, heaven is silent. Uh, yes. and, and Spurgeon handles that masterfully in, in so many places. And um, it, to me, again, to take a suffering believer uh, and to tell them, and really even a suffering unbeliever, um, that our Savior he doesn't know these things intellectually merely. He he knows yeah. them experientially. Um, that was just that sort of a yeah. a comment uh, Zach, that just I wanted to make you know, with you because again I just want to thank you for that. Um, well, the whole book, but chapter eight. Yeah, you know, people read that chapter. Yeah, I'll just say that. Um, Zach, I do have one more uh, question for you. I have a thought before that, um, just kind of get your ideas on it. But one of the things that I love is um, in the Bible when the Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in his side. Um, And I love how the Bible leaves that just very ambiguous. There are a lot of people who speculate what this was, this physical ailment that he had. But I love how the Bible leaves that ambiguous because it could mean anything. And I think one of the things that is so helpful is to realize, you know what, that hey, maybe he suffered from depression. Um, And and using that to be able to, you know, look at your life and to think that, you know, here's this man of the faith who, um, you know, looking at Christ, but but here's, you know, Paul who was rescued and saved. And we look at all of, as Greg said earlier, the things that he talks about Christ has done for him. But to think about this man pleading before God, um, you know, three times, you know, take this away from me, take mm-hmm. this away from me. And Christ is saying, nope, my grace is sufficient for you yeah. Yeah. and and leaving it there with them. And, um, and we don't, you know, we don't want to minimize the fact that, um, you know, we, we are going through some serious things um, when depression comes around. Um, and, and so being able to look to God, not necessarily saying there's going to be a solution because that's not what God gives Paul. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give him a solution. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and so I, I love that aspect. And you talk a lot about that in your, in your book as well about not relying on our own strengths, but relying on the truth of God's grace. Um, and so that, that was just so, um, I appreciated that so much, um, in the book, um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is um, ultimately, um, and uh, my wife just dealt with this in her school recently, um, and I won't give names or anything like that, um, but uh, there was a young man who, who had was dealing with depression, and um, he ended up taking his life. Um, and I would like to get your thoughts on that, because the, when that came around, there were a lot of people who just kind of looked and said, well, you know, that was it, that was evidence that this man was not a believer. And I have a sense that you wouldn't say that. And so Zach, could you just, you know, could you just talk us through a a believer 
um, who just, who's been battling and struggling with depression, um, and, and they do end up taking their life. What, how would you address, not necessarily the family, because I think you would address them differently, but how would you address that comment, that discussion? Good question. Well, that, that chapter in, in the book on suicide was certainly the hardest to write, um, but there's also a great deal of robust help from Spurgeon on that. And uh, so two things I would want to talk with my friend who was thinking of ending his life. The first is Spurgeon would say he's surprised there aren't more suicides. I mean, he has quotes like this that would floor us, I yes. think. He's surprised there aren't more suicides because of the of the reality of our rebellion, not our not just our personal rebellion, but what it's like to live in the fallen world and the kinds of pains and sufferings and horrors that can happen here um, that required a savior. Uh, experiencing that, uh, it is no wonder he actually says it uh, when he's talking about Elijah that it could be the most rational thing in the world to want to die. Yeah, yeah. That if it, it, it isn't necessarily irrational, it certainly can be. Um, but for, for some of us, it can be a rational thing where we look at the misery of the world and we just don't see how we can handle it. Yes. And, uh, and so the first thing that he does, which might scare some of us, but the first thing Spurgeon does is say, uh, not only is your desire rational, uh, not only are you in good company because many of God's greatest saints in the Bible our heroes wanted to die too. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then he'll say, not only that, I've wanted to die. Spurgeon just says that, that he yeah. himself had contemplated ending his life. Yeah. And, um, and so he, he enters it as a fellow sufferer, understanding the desire in light of a fallen world. Um, and then the second thing he does is, he, but then he goes to uh, Elijah and he begins to reason with us, and he says, imagine if Elijah did get his wish. Yeah. And um, because all of the, all of the um, most of the powerful and meaningful, rich ministry that Elijah had came after that. Yeah. And uh, all those things wouldn't have been. And um, so he, he reasons with us in our suffering to say, Watch out for an arrogance that creeps in to our suffering, a a, a belief that we know the future and mm-hmm. we know that it can't be good. And he urges us to say, uh, even though you feel that God isn't holding you, he's holding you. And even though you don't see a future, he does. And so he invites us to consider um, consider that and what the Lord will, will, will still yet do in our life and be in our life. And so, uh, yep, I, I do believe that, uh, the sin of suicide is a forgivable sin, just like any other sin. I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't see suicide as the unforgivable sin mentioned in the new Testament, but that doesn't mean, uh, but, so someone might say, well, you shouldn't talk like that, because if you say they can be forgiven, maybe someone will go ahead and do it. Yeah. And and then, then, then that's the third thing Spurgeon would reason with such a person. And we would say, yes, you can be forgiven, but there are consequences. Yeah. Right. And yeah. uh, 
that just like with any other area of our life, there are consequences to it. And the, the mercy and grace of God forgives us and we'll be with him. But, but, and then we think through the consequences, and I try to do that in that book as gently as I can to say what it does, what it, what it does to the people we love the rest of their lives uh, in terms of neighbor love. Yes. Uh, we violate neighbor love when we do that yeah. uh, because of what it requires them to carry all the rest of their days. And at that moment, we're violating love for our Savior. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, He conquers that, uh, but there's a, there is a reality to it. It affects us in some way, um, and that's real. And so these are the kinds of things Spurgeon would say, affirming the desire. And that's really unique, I think, Yes. from a lot of what I w- have been taught all my life, you know, and uh, entering that desire going to the scripture like with Elijah and reasoning with the future that God has for us. Yes, you can be forgiven in Christ even for suicide, but no, don't think that means there aren't devastating consequences to the action. And in all of this, um, Christ, we have we have a, a savior for the sorrowing. That's what Spurgeon would say. Yeah. And even in this darkest place, especially here, he can save us. And I think to close a thought on that would be like from Psalm 139, uh, where the psalmist uh, says, I think it's I think it's around verse 11 or verse 12, where he says, um, uh, "If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Yeah. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you." So, yeah, yeah no, thank you, Zach. I I want to. Uh, give just our listeners a, a small snippet here just so they know, uh, again, the, the value of this book. And I know you're not going to compliment yourself, so I, I, I'm going to do that. But um, just a beautiful little um, summary here. You, you say, uh, suicide is not the unpardonable sin. The follower of Jesus is not lost because of this heinous act. This gives uh, us who remain hope for those we loved. And yet the sad consequences do remain, not only for those who choose suicide, but for those left behind who loved them, just as other sins are paid for by Christ, so this one is too. But just as other sins damage ourselves and others, this one is no exception. We forfeit the future we could have known. We inflict terrible harm on those who love us and whom we loved. We give ourselves over to the very things that Jesus died to save us from, forgiven and home with him. Yes, yes, but much that must be paid for by Jesus and healed. And just tremendous balance you strike there, Zach. I, I, very pastoral answer, and just thank you for that that counsel and um, very helpful and very specific approach to that difficult issue. Yeah. Well, Zach, um, we are uh, running out of time. We want to be um, conscious of your time yes. um, and um, want to thank you for joining us. Um, this has been uh, so great because uh, there are so many people that are dealing with depression, so many people um, who, as you know, just are feeling alone. Um, and so just to know that there are other people out there who have dealt with this um, is tremendous. Again, the book that we um, are talking about, Spurgeon's Sorrows by Zach S. Wine. Um, and so, Zach, again, thank you uh, for joining us. We're going to go ahead and um, sign off now. And uh, Greg, Zach, we just rocked the Casper From St. Louis. <laughs> Rock. Thank you, Zach. It was really good to be with you guys. Thanks so much. You just finished listening to Zach Eswine talking about his book, Spurgeon's Sorrows. Um, we do want to 
offer you um, all an opportunity to receive one of his books. We are going to send out four um, for the first two people to go ahead and write us um, an iTunes review. I know we've done that a lot, but um, iTunes is a great way to um, get our podcast up closer to the top of the search engine. So as soon as you pull up podcasts, um, the more reviews we have, the better reviews that there are, uh, the easier it is for people to locate us and find us. And that's really why we push those iTunes reviews so much on this podcast. But we also want the opportunity for those of you who maybe um, have already done an iTunes review, maybe you've liked us before, you just really want to get your hands on this book um, and, and, and read what Zach Eswine has to say about um, depression. Uh, we want to give you an opportunity as well. So um, the first two people to like us on, or not like us, but write a comment on Facebook about today's episode, we will also send that out to you. Um, again, please don't forget, I've mentioned this um, in the past, when you do that, email us, these go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com. Uh, give us your name, um, the uh, your address, sorry, your name, address, and then also uh, write down um, whether you would like the book in hard copy or um, as an ebook. Um, Greg, any other thoughts? Or? No, that's great. And yeah, we really do. The iTunes reviews, that's why we, we mention them. You know, yeah. we're, we're not looking for self-aggrandizement right. <laughs> or anything. It's just uh, iTunes. We've been reading a lot about it. The more uh, each uh, podcast is reviewed, as you said, it just rises a little higher yeah. in the search engines, allows us to, to reach a broader audience. Yep. So it helps an uh, awful lot. I'd even say if you want to encourage friends that like it yeah. uh, to write one, that would be great too. But uh, most uh, importantly, Zach's book, um, I mean, we, we've already talked to some authors. Every author we've had, we, we, we would recommend their books without yep. reservation. This book, Nathan, is it's really grabbed me. Yeah. And I, I hope it would be of tremendous help to people. Mm -hmm. And we really want to get it out there. In our own church, we just ordered a whole bunch of copies yep. that, that will be in here soon. Uh, so, um, you will really appreciate this book. I don't want to say you'll enjoy it. Right. You know, right it's yeah, a strange yeah. term to use, yeah. but I think it will bring tremendous benefit. It will be helpful. To you. It helpful. will be very helpful yes. um, to you. Uh, even if you personally don't struggle with depression, um, this, this will be helpful for you to maybe get inside the mind of someone who does yes. and, and hopefully have more understanding and compassion for that person to be more effective with the gospel. Yes. E excellent. Facebook and iTunes. That's right. These go to 11.